I was reading this article and I think I told you about it Laerta, the other day where it was a creative director was talking about like his advice for like putting together a really good portfolio and something that he said is like when you're a creative director or like a creative any, of any kind people are hiring you for your worldview specifically and so you have to make sure that your worldview is super super clear and it comes across like within three to five seconds or else people are just going to move on to the next thing because at, in this day and age like realistically pretty much anybody can do anything and it's so easy to learn a new skill set so what's really valuable now is like your unique perspective and your unique approach versus like just your skill set versus for a long time I think you know being a director being in the film industry or all of these different jobs were very like specialized and you had to like really learn how to do it and now that it's become a lot easier people are kind of having to dig a little bit deeper and say like why am I the best person for this well and that when we were talking about like travel like blogging earlier that was one of the reasons I wasn't a huge like I I didn't want to pursue like the blog because I felt like I had to make myself the brand and I just wasn't comfortable doing that at the time because I feel like um a lot of travel bloggers they kind of also are influencers like that's the way that you get people to your blog is like through Instagram and it I didn't want to be that person (laughs) I definitely feel like it's a balance because I think it's the same thing like lately I've been playing around with my Instagram as just kind of a way to express myself and I realize a lot of the people I follow are people who do post a lot and people who post a lot about their lives and there is that balance of like wanting especially the type of people we are we're creatives we're freelancers you want to put your stuff out there because that is how you find people that you know you can work with or work for but you have to figure out how much of it is too much work because that's exactly that like do you want to make yourself a full-on brand do you want to have all your you know like be an influencer where all of your income is kind of based on you like really putting yourself out there and it's it's a balance and it's something that I think a lot of us are still trying to figure out by still like using social media for all the good that it's for and using it as a way to have multiple streams of revenue and so much of it is like you know even if you have a digital product it's kind of like you kind of have to post about it and you Mm -hmm. have to like you know like if you go viral you'll be able to sell more but then it's like do you actually want to go viral so like that's something I've been thinking a lot about like how much of myself do I want to put out there Mm -hmm. because I want to make a lot of money but I also like want to be real yeah I write a lot for um like for CEOs, but I also have done a lot of self-help stuff like throughout my career. And it's nice to ghostwrite for self-help people because I don't want to put my name on it necessarily because I don't want, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into self. Cause I think I, I couldn't be the person that people could follow. Cause I, I think a lot in self-help, it's the same thing with like travel blogging or anything. They're following you for you. Like, Rachel Hollis and like all these other people like their advice is the same the advice for all coaches it's the same but they're following you because they like you and so that's the nice thing about being a ghostwriter is you can kind of put on those different hats and you don't have to be like this is my one core message Um, and at some point maybe I'll like figure out what that message is and like that brand is for myself but for right now for like as I've been doing the ghostwriting it's been nice to just 
give it to someone else. <laughs> I've been thinking about that for myself as well. It's like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And I think a lot of my life was like me forcing myself to pigeonhole myself just because it's kind of like, that's kind of like the way that other people want you to be. Yeah. It's kind of the way capitalism yeah, works. And all that niche stuff. down. Yeah. yeah. And just like, oh, and then like, once you're this thing, you have to continue being this thing. But I think I've really found a lot of healing recently in just allowing myself to be different every day. And I don't know how much you know about human design, but I'm a reflector and that basically means that every day I'm just supposed to be different. I'm supposed to like kind of go with the flow. And once I started leaning in with that, I realized like, you know, I can open a lot more doors for myself if I don't do that. But also no one should really be that pigeonholed. A lot of us suffer if we're just like forced to be this one thing and try to put our identity into something like self-help or whatever our niche is. And I'm sure you've probably felt the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it makes me think a lot about like how intimately tied innovation and creativity are to each other and how you need to constantly be evolving and changing in order to fuel your creativity and that's something that I realized the other day when I was putting together like a beat sheet for a film that we're producing towards the end of this month and what I realized as I was putting everything together is like I was trying really hard to push a certain narrative or like push something very specific and then when I was like you know what I'm just gonna like let myself look through tumblr look at like all of the different things that inspire me look at different films watch things that I like and just see what speaks to me and then I realized like how it kind of started piecing itself together and it was because I wasn't trying to like pigeonhole myself to do a specific thing or to like do something instead I was just allowing like creativity to just like enter me and do whatever it needed to do and I think when we kind of like open ourselves up to being that vessel of creativity then it kind of takes a lot of the stress away from like having to create something really specific and so many of the industries that we've worked in and like agencies that we've worked with have really tried to push that narrative of like oh you're a creative person you can be creative at the drop of a hat you can endlessly be creative but like it's so not true like you have to fuel your creativity and you have to have that rest and restoration in order to find the balance and it's like there's not one way to go about it which I'm sure you've experienced as yeah. well Megan have you do, have you guys watched the the LuLaRoe documentary yes yeah. oh my god I just watched it <laughs> oh god I love I love cult stuff I love like MLM stuff I think it's so fascinating um there's a moment where there was a designer that said that they had to be pushing out like a hundred prints like a day which is insane so they ended up stealing like other people's work because it that's the only way they could make the numbers and it's just you know one piece of people just not knowing how to work with creatives i think a lot of brands think what they want is like just give me 100 photos like i need as much content as possible because yeah, like, or give me like 15 facebook ads yes, and i'll like, just run them myself I, I need all of it because like you know i have to compete with the competition but where we're coming from is literally the exact opposite it's like no we'll give you five images but they're gonna be literally like so intentional they're going to be exactly what your audience wants to see they're going to convey the exact emotions you want to convey like there's so much thought process it actually takes more work to be more simplified but no one's really doing that and that's what we want to do and change because there's so much pressure from like seo and social media like to have all of this content just pushed out which is why i was saying with the the travel blog if i were to have pursued that I would want so many different articles coming out so that my you know my ranking was higher so that there was more for people to to grab onto more opportunities for affiliate links like et cetera, et cetera. and it's I could feel when I thought about maybe pursuing that I could feel the quality of like the blog posts going down <laughs> and I did not want that because 
for when I first started like blogging um, in college, I did I had a music music blog and then I had a travel blog, and both of them were just me exploring writing because I knew that I wanted to write like as for the rest of my life, but I I wanted to just kind of practice before I applied for any jobs, and with the music blog, I, it ended up being like a level of success that I was kind of surprised by like I would get like press releases and I would get like free products and I was like whoa like I'm not the media like no do not send this to me like press uh I don't need this badge thanks my name's Megan (laughs) it was so bizarre like and it was random bands like from like I a random band from San Antonio was like hey please like post about our album release I was like uh sure I, I can uh but how did you find me? Because I didn't even have I didn't have analytics for that first one, so I didn't even know who was reading it. And then for the travel blog, I think the most I was getting was like two k views a month, which was like I mean not where I like would have wanted to be if I was like pitching to like big opportunities. Um, but I w- I was kind of surprised at at how it it came in, and I wanted it to just like be me, be authentic, be my thoughts, what I wanted to to do. And if I really had wanted to make it a full-time job and really wanted to make money, I wouldn't have been able to, like, put my, like, personal thing in that. So it's it, – that's kind of why I stepped away from that and was – I would prefer doing larger projects that I have to kind of take that more time on anyway. So, like, the book that I'm writing, I mean, who knows how long it's going to take. But I'm also – I'm not going to give myself a deadline because I do want it to be high-quality, like – what I want to put out into the world like if this is like the one book that I really like I have my name on and I really want to like put out there I want to like believe in it and be excited about it and like not be like oh like I did this thing but like you guys don't want to read it like I want people to be excited about it (laughs) sometimes we're like not loud enough about like promoting ourselves and um there's this youtuber that I followed for a long time her name was Shameless Maya who I don't know if you guys know her I love her content because she basically started this project for herself where she literally was like I'm gonna spend a whole year just shamelessly promoting myself like I'm just gonna be my biggest fan for one whole year and I'm gonna see what happens and literally like within that one year she like photographed Prince's like last tour like she was a photographer she like was just putting out YouTube videos all the time she like really manifested like the life that she wanted for herself and it was because she was like I'm deciding to be proud of the things that I put out and I'm not going to put out anything that I'm not proud of and like that was really life-changing for me when I read it and like when I was watching all of her videos and I was like man like we all need to be more like this like we can be proud of the things that we put out if we're doing it with intention if we're aligned and like our value and the things that we really want to be creating and it just shows like how important it is to just like really like believe in yourself and set those boundaries for like this is how I'm going to work so that I can produce my best work I've been reading um Joe Dispenza's book Becoming Supernatural I feel like maybe okay I was like I feel like you would have heard of that (laughs) I haven't heard of it but it sounds exciting (laughs) yeah you probably really like it um but in the book it talks about you know the very like basic like common sense idea but the way that he portrayed it is like literally the way that our life works is based on like our brain is learning things as it goes and so our thoughts literally become our actions because that's just the only way that we can live so it's like you know I I learned to stop at a red light for multiple reasons so I'm going to keep stopping at red lights but the only way like but if you think about that and if you really look at the timeline of your life then your future is always going to look like your past automatically and the Mm -hmm. only way that it won't is if you actively 
like put a lot of effort into changing your thoughts and changing your actions repeatedly. So just even going with that, like something I've realized recently that a lot of creatives, like, you know, a lot of us are like, yeah, we know that we need to shamelessly promote. We We know we need to do all these things. But even in addition to that, it's like on a fundamental level, we all need to be like, if what we were doing before wasn't working, you need to change what you were doing. And that's what I've been thinking a lot of. Like, you know, I haven't been like super, like I've always been like really hidden about what I'm doing. And I was like, how has that been working for me? I should just try the exact opposite. Because when you're so confident, people believe what you say. It is like I worked security, like I was volunteering at a music festival. You were security? It was a volunteer, like a volunteer position. And they were just like, make sure no one like without a red wristband comes in. And I was like, okay, sure. Cool. And then, but people would come in just like confidently enough, like, and you know, they had their, like a a long sleeve, so you couldn't really see the wristband. And I was like, yeah, that looks like they belong here. And I I started thinking about it. I was like, worst security ever. I'm sorry. Oh, worst security. And they look like they belong here. But it's like, I, I, I realized that if I'm believing that and if I'm just like, okay, they look like they should, they should come in or whatever. I'm not going to question them. Then other people are doing that too. So if you co- you go up to someone and you're like, I'm the best photographer in the Austin area, people are more likely to believe you than if you're like, I'm a photographer. Like, I don't know. It's pretty cool. You can like check out my website. It's like, if you are like, I am the best, I am qualified for this job. I am a good fit for this company. People are gonna be like, okay. It's like, I feel like people are willing to pay to make less decisions. Yes. And also what we were talking about earlier with how much content there is out there. I truly believe that very soon our entire culture is going to change where there's so much out there that we are now going to want the opposite mm-hmm. and we're going to want a lot less, a lot more intentional things, a lot better quality things, a lot of things that actually mean something. Yeah. And we're like all the things that we're talking about right now is going to be at the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, a lot of it has to do with people, you know, post-pandemic realizing how, like, unsustainable their work life was. And then also on top of that, seeing how, like, shameless these corporations were about, like, selling their products in the middle of a pandemic. Like, I think it really showed people the true colors of, like, a capitalist society and, you know, what we're living in content-wise specifically, like, you know, they're constantly being pushed out with like different ads they're constantly being told to like buy something new or like revive the economy when they're struggling to pay rent and people are getting so sick of seeing things that are constantly selling to them and i was reading recently about how like people are way more interested in content that's like educational that's inspirational that's motivating that's going to connect to them on an emotional level and they don't really care about your promotional bullshit like they just want to be nurtured yeah pe- I, people see through the promotion stuff really easily well because consumers are smart now yeah. right yeah. Yeah. yeah we're only becoming smarter yeah. exactly for a long time you know i think we talked about this recently is like you know people were doing like the big advertising agencies and they had billboards and they had tv ads and there was a lot of control over the narrative but now that we have this age of social media the narrative can get switched very quickly and people can control like your audience can control your narrative rather yeah. than you controlling your narrative and i think that that just goes to show like how important it is to make your content and things that you put out more collaborative and that it's not just about like your main point of view but like how does this help people what is the intention behind it yeah there's less of brands can't just tell people like this is like why our product is whatever because they're going to be people that are are reviewing it and that are talking to other people and there's going to be reddit forums and there's it's harder to hide um when there's just so much out there I have a question because we were kind of talking about this recently because this is also how I feel about people being super salesy. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I think all of us, like, we're all super intelligent, and it's like when you get the vibe that someone thinks that they that you're not very smart, it's like an immediate turnoff. And oh, yeah. What I get with a lot of brands, but also with people being really salesy, because mm-hmm. I feel like we've been dealing with this a lot of, like, people in my DMs or people. Hey, babes. Like, just being, like, it's like I know that you're only following me to try to get something out of me, and, and it's also, like, the people that, because especially, like, the kind of the coach community right now online, I feel freaking hate it it is wild and like yeah. i'm in the middle of that community just trying to be a freelancer but it's like i'm not trying to like like so i wanted to ask you what you think about that but also what you think about just like selling yourself in general and being it doing it in a way that's authentic and not like i think you're stupid and so i'm just going to keep bugging you until you pay to hire me like i don't know if the thought process is there well i think that's that's what it is is you have to look for people that you actually want to work with and that you're not just taking advantage of I think one of the reasons why I didn't want to uh like pursue myself as a brand is because when I was traveling I was in the digital nomad groups and like the you know female freelancer groups and there's a lot of coaches a lot of people who are clearly just trying to kind of take advantage of like the wandering freelancer or like the the woman who is like I see all these people working remotely and they're living in Bali like I want that life for myself I don't know where to go and then it's like hey babe I can help you and it's like and that's their only selling point live in Bali and work in Bali it's like you know it's it should be a red flag when I started traveling it was just kind of I did it myself like I just did it because I wanted to do it and it's I'm not I, I was very capable of doing it just because I'm a person that just went online and figured out how to do it and so it frustrates me when there are people that are like I can help you do it we can all I mean just go do it it's there's no you don't need a coach to help you get to Bali you buy a plane ticket you figure out your expenses like I saved up a bunch of money when I first started I was lucky that I had already had a remote job so I kind of knew what the next steps were but there I mean there's a lot of ways that you can like travel and work and keep your even if you don't have a remote job there's like work sharing option there's work away there's woofing there's so many things um like visa programs whatever you just have to do a little research and you don't need to pay a predatory like coach to tell you how to do it um which is yeah i think when people are trying to sell me something it's like a huge turnoff even like there's the the way that people talk about things um, I had a, a former boss when I first I was living in Australia and it was a, a copywriting job but it was like also like a in he called it an internship and I was like this is an internship please pay me like and he the you could hear him kind of drumming up his sales pitch to like get me to work there for like way less than what I wanted to work for um, and you could hear him like, this is a great opportunity. You can learn so much about SEO. You can learn so much about blah, blah, blah. This is what I want to pay you. And I was like, no, like, no, I am making more than that just by doing my own thing. I can do what you're offering me and like work half the time. Like it's, I, I, you, fe- you can hear it when they're, they're drumming that up and they're trying to like motivate you and they're trying to like pump you up. And it's like, it turns it turns me off so much. It's it's not fun. <laughs> it sucks when you've had the experiences that I think we have because now there's like certain ways of talking that it's like I'm not even gonna give you the chance. Like if I see like recently I've just seen like a lot of job postings and like the second they say like 
you know, you're going to be wearing a lot of hats or like we need a team print, all these things. But like the second I see the word hat, I'm like, okay, no hat. How much are you paying? Oh, you're only one hat only. (laughs) Like, oh, you're only paying the rate for one job. That's interesting because you mentioned three jobs. So I just thought the salary would be more. And it's just like, it's like, I don't even have time to waste with those people anymore. And it sucks because it's one of those things where it's just like, it's because you've lived the experience and you really don't know until you've lived it. And then you're like, you, yeah, you have to have a like a bottom floor of what you're willing to accept, and if if someone's offering you lower than that, you say no, thank you. Find someone else. That's fine. So, how do you calculate that? Because I feel like a lot of people have a hard time figuring out like what's the lowest that I could make. I think a lot of people base their pricing honestly off of like how much they think their work is worth rather than like how much they need to make in order to pay their bills. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, is that how you kind of go about it? Yeah, I think about you know, my rent, my expenses. I'm, I'm very type A with my money. I'm like very on it all the time. What's your astrology, by the way? Cancer, uh, cancer, Leo, cancer. Wait, so you're cancer sun and rising? Yeah. <gasps> Ooh, no wonder oh, we love no you. Wonder <laughs> love you. <I'm> <laughs> and I'm a cancer moon. Oh so God. lots of cancer intuitive, like I'm so energy here. With money. Well, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to like ask for money. I don't like I so when I went to college um I my parents kind of paid for the they like paid for my first two years of like everything and then they cut me off which I thought was a good way of going about it because I wasn't like stressed but my second semester of my freshman year I worked for the Disney college program and I was working full-time my rent was super cheap you could like you couldn't save anything but you could live and I realized like how nice it was to be financially like independent for the first time. And I was like, I never want to go back to a place where I'm like struggling with debt or I um, like have to ask my parents for money. I just don't want to do that. I just, it's not for me. Okay. Honestly, same. It actually makes sense because that's cancer because that is cancer where like you want to feel safe. So yeah. um, financial stability is actually really, really important to me. I had a tarot reader telling me that and I was telling her about like an ex-boyfriend. And it's like, oh no, you need financial stability. It is your freedom. Like I, even certain situations where I'm like, I don't want to like buy this like, you know, $10 meal because like it will put me over the edge. Like when I was in college, like that, that was my mindset. I mean, I had no money when I was in college and it's like, you are so trapped in like, it's, oh my gosh, it's an, it's pretty intense. So I don't ever want to go back to that place. So what I do is I just kind of calculate what expenses I need, what I need to hit. And then, you know, think about like the hourly rate. If I am working 40 hours a week, what kind of rate am I looking at? And that's like my bottom shelf because I don't like to work 40 hours a week. (laughs) Um, If I can do higher than that, that's what I want. But I have that bottom shelf of like, I'm not going to make less than, and I, you know, where I was working before, like that was my bottom shelf. So, and I'm willing to kind of do that if I know I can supplement it in other ways if I can have outside clients or if I can have a client that is paying me more than that you know if if the average is the hourly rate that is what I need to survive then I'm then I'm okay um but I also want to increase my rates like all the time like I have a bottom shelf here and in two years my bottom shelf will not be below that, you know? I love that. Um, my co-founder, Jesse over at Anuya, she actually talked about that recently where she was saying that every three months she gives herself a raise where yeah. she's like every three clients, every three months, like 
the thing that I make sure is that my like my next client is paying me more than my yeah. last client mm-hmm. and every three months I'm going through and checking my portfolio updating everything and then changing my rates accordingly because realistically like if you're continuing to work on things you're continuing to improve your skills if you work within those three months like you're a way different person you have a way different skill set and you're way more experienced than you were three months prior so like you should adjust that my outside clients I usually get through Upwork just because it's been easier and I know that not all Upwork I mean Upwork is not going to like most of the clients are not going to pay a super high rate but if you throw out a super high rate and the person's like absolutely not we'll lower it down and then you get a high rate and it's fine you know so I always I throw out kind of like a high number um and I especially like if I have like enough work if I have like that if I know that my week is covered budgetary wise and I'm offered a a job I'm just gonna throw out a really high rate and it's if they take it okay I'll make time for that like I'll make time for a lot of money so um I do that with because now I get kind of offers on Upwork to do books and stuff like kind of of what I'm doing now and I just throw out a rate that's like twice what I'm making so it's like if they are going to give me twice of what I'm making I will prioritize them <laughs> for a month or two, but um, I, yeah, I just don't want to, I don't ever want to take a step back because I'm like, my expenses as I get older are only going to be more, like I, I want to have just like more and more and more as I keep going because yeah, I don't want to go back to ever asking for money or having to, I don't, because I don't even know where I would go like job wise because I've never had like a salaried job ever so I was like what where would I even go like I just want to have um yeah the independence to not work for someone else or like work for someone else that I don't want to work for (laughs) you you kind of already talked a little bit about it but for our listeners what does a week look like for you and also I guess if you want to like kind of introduce yourself in general and kind of just like what your title (laughs) is what type of work you do and then what does a regular week look like in your life Okay, so um, I am a the head, head writer for Leaders Press, which is a publishing company. Um, in addition to that, I also have side clients. I've always been a writer um, since I graduated college, basically. I have did copywriting, I've done blogging, I've written like scripts, and it's always been ghostwriting. It's always been for someone else, unless it was like my blogs, which like are not a huge source of income. It was like a tiny little piece when I was traveling. Um, but yeah, so that's what I do. It we, the week depends on what projects I'm working on. So sometimes I'll have a book um, and I want to get X number of words done for the week. And I'll go day by day by day, figure out how many words I need to do for that day. And I'll adjust it based on, you know, if I have other things to do or if I like know I'm going to be tired or like I try not to work Friday afternoons because I never want to work. And like, I, I don't want to trap myself in that. Like I always end up like going to the climbing gym or I go to cosmic and then I don't get anything done. So it's like, why not just like budget that time out as like I'm not gonna be working anyway, and if I happen to be working, like yeah, I get more done, cool. Um, but yeah, it kind of depends um, week by week. I I usually try to have like a certain number of words or a certain amount of like projects that make money. Like, and once I hit that for the day, whether it's like 3 p.m. or like 7 p.m., then I'm done. Which isn't always, you know, there is a little of anxiety sometimes of like I could be doing more, but it's like. I don't want to be doing so much that I'm stressing myself out because that's not fun. Like I just, yeah, I want to work in a way that where I sit down in my computer, I work and I'm like, yes, like 
I, I'm excited to do this project. I'm excited to work. Like, I'm happy being here so that when I close my laptop, I don't have to think about work anymore and I can just kind of move on. And yeah. I love that. That's so cool. It's like you're really prioritizing your mental health and making sure that like you feel good about the work that you're doing. And I think that that's like such a key part of freelancing. That's like why we all freelance, right? Is because we want to like, do work that makes us feel good and we don't want to be burnt out we don't want to be stressed about our work anymore something that i realized the other day is like i was sticking to a nine to five schedule and i was like why am i doing this i quit my nine to five for a reason like i don't need to work nine to five i can work 11 to 7 if i want to i can take two days off a week like it doesn't have to be you know this like structured schedule so like my question for you i guess is how have you come to that practice of like prioritizing your mental health or like what does that look like in your freelancing life i i do it because it's just I'm happier when I'm healthy and when I'm working and when I'm doing the things I want to do hour by hour. Like it, I, I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, but I think I got to that point where um, I don't know like how it started. Like I have always kind of had a goal of what I wanted to do. So I when I was in college, I wanted to graduate. Soon after I graduated, I wanted to save up a bunch of money to go traveling and, like, do travel full time. So I did what I needed to do to, like, do that. I was working, like, 70 hours a week. Um, but I knew that there was, like, an end goal for it. So then I was traveling, and I didn't really have, like, a, like goals there because I was just kind of doing what I, I knew that I was just, like, living life. Um, I was just here to live life. Um, and then once I got back to Austin, I – realized that I just wanted to enjoy what I was doing because there's so many people when they're backpacking and when they're traveling, like they are doing what they're doing because they love it and because they wake up every morning, like excited and happy. And like, that's what they want to do. And it's possible to do that, which I, I want to just stick to that and stick to like, I'm doing this because I choose to do it because it's, you know, the best thing I can do right now. I don't, I don't ever want to be doing something that I don't want to do. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was like, it sounds like you just don't do anything you don't feel like doing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. I, that's like, that's the hardest thing for me to do. Like, I'm constantly doing stuff I don't feel like doing because I'm just like, oh, this is just one of those things that has to get done. But like, I'm sure life is really nice when you just stop doing <laughs> shit that you don't want to do anymore. Well, it's like, how, I, and that's why I like to set those boundaries. Like, I just, you can just set those boundaries and if you set them then people will for the most part respect them um and if they don't respect them and like if you communicated your boundaries and you're like i want to spend this day doing this or like i want to um i'm trying to like like boundaries with friends and stuff where it's like i only want to or i want to you know see my friends all the time or if i like i want to focus on work if people don't respect your boundaries then it's like you don't you don't want to be hanging around with them anyway um, and that's like in work, in friendships and relationships, like everything. So I think just knowing those boundaries for yourself and also like, and setting them for yourself too, of just like, I'm not going to accept a job where people don't respect me. And then it's like, and then you live your life where people respect you that you're working with. Like, I had a recent job and I come from the film industry. So anybody who like knows, knows, but, um, I stepped away from bigger shows and I just realized how much anxiety I really got from my career. Just like anytime I would get like an email or anytime I'd get a text, like I would just like my whole body would fill with anxiety. And I finally realized I'm like, 
look, I don't know what the answer is here, but this is not working. And I need to figure out how, like how this started and how I cannot feel this way for normal, like text or something. And then I was working and helping a friend with a short film the other day. And I was like telling Daniela, like, Oh no, they're texting me. And I was like freaking out because it was like, you know, I was, we were uh, working on the podcast during that time. And then I just had to keep telling myself, like, they don't care if I don't respond right away. Like, they literally don't care. Like, they know that this isn't my only priority and I have other things going on. And they're just happy to have me on board. And they, like, have enough respect for me. But, like, I don't have to answer them right away. But it's crazy because I've literally never had a job like that. And I'm like, that that's a problem. Yeah. And I need to get away from the ladder and go towards the future. But it's exactly what you said is, like, as soon as I started respecting myself enough people then respected me and then I also realized like oh my god I'm worthy of respect like oh my god this person is willing to pay me how much to like only work part-time for a week like Mm -hmm. oh this is what life on the other side could look like I like I tell I I tell the people that I work with and I tell my clients like I don't work nights and weekends I will not respond to you like most for the most part Friday afternoon I don't work and I will not respond to you and it's if you communicate that and you're just very blunt about it and very honest about it, people re- will respect it because they don't want to think too hard to like get around it. And if they're spending that much energy trying to like break your boundaries and like, oh, oh. it's a red flag. Yeah, it's a red flag. Like do something else, you know, like, yeah, I, I had a, a really good friend when I was first working in retail um, in college who it, like our managers were just kind of pushy and they wanted us to like play these weird games where like th- to sell more. It was like when we were on the floor, it was, yeah. And I had a coworker who was just so blunt and honest. She's like, I'm not doing that. And then she didn't do it. She didn't have to do it because she was like, that's my bound. Like, no, thank you. And I was like, I want to, I want to not do the stuff I don't want to do. Like, that's great. That sounds fun. And so, and I started kind of like adopting that, you know, approach to the communication, there's just that bluntness and it works. Yeah. Because I think people (laughs) respect people being direct. I think that a lot of times when boundaries are being pushed, it's because like you didn't establish the boundaries from the beginning and like you weren't direct with your communication in front or like ahead of time. And I think that that's something that's really, really hard for a lot of us to do, especially like early in our careers. What are some boundaries that you've set like for yourself that have been kind of like non-negotiables like these are like my biggest boundaries like I don't work with any client who's gonna like you know push this I think pay is the biggest thing pay and I think some sort of like not ethical stuff I mean I probably have boundaries that like are in my head that are just kind of intuitive of just like oh I don't want to work with that you know um but like pay is I think the biggest one and it's you know, it's easy to kind of communicate that because you can just say a number um, and it's either a yes or a no. Like, it's like, I can either give you what you want or I can't. And then it's like, goodbye, have fun, see you later. You know, and that's like, I think the biggest boundary that it's hard as a freelancer because you don't like, you don't want to pass it up because you're worried about like when the next person is going to come in who will reach that boundary. But I'd rather spend like, I'd rather spend a month waiting for that $50,000 client. These are just random numbers. But, like, I'd rather spend a month waiting for that than, like, have a $50 client immediately. It's, you know, if it all – you know, you have to have, like, your yearly, your monthly, your weekly, et cetera. Like, 
and and the yearly I think is also important especially if you do work on like big projects like I'm lucky where copywriting you can kind of you can do a blog post pretty quickly and get some money in if you really need it um the books are a little bit different but (laughs) um but I always know I can like fall back on smaller things so um I'm willing to wait for the clients who are actually going to pay me something where I'm like okay I'm good for the month or I'm good for the next two months or you know I'm on my way to meeting my yearly goal for things because I mean it's hard it's hard being a freelancer you have to the taxes alone are so frustrating and and I don't think people always understand that um like I didn't understand it when I first um like was a freelancer and then I don't think that clients understand that either I it's it's crazy sometimes to think how a client or or an employer because I think this is something that people deal with like in the corporate world I don't understand how an employer or a client could be like yes I'm going to pay you like pennies have fun affording your rent like we live in Austin like it's expensive out here (laughs) I need to live I just love that you're saying that because I, I definitely think that's the biggest struggle is mm-hmm. pay. I think all none of us are really getting paid very well. And I think this is something me and Daniel talk about all the time where we need like a literal cultural reset yeah. of everybody figuring out how much we should all be charging, everybody not taking less than that. But it really is so hard. Yeah. And I also have a question that's just like a follow-up question to what you were talking about, especially in like kind of the beginning of your freelance career. Like you're talking about, you know, not settling for less and – it is stressful because you don't know when the next client's coming, but also I think you do a really good job of balancing your mental health with work. But like, how was that in the beginning? Cause that's something that is really hard when you're like trying to balance, like not being too stressed, but also like making enough money, saying no to t- like the little amount of money. Like how do you balance those three things now compared to maybe early on in your career? I, I think I was really lucky when I first started because my first, like throughout college, I worked at a retail job that paid, ten dollars an hour and I was like okay this is what people pay like okay that's fine and then the first copywriting job I had was a little more than that not a lot but like a little more but I was like I'm making more than I was at my retail job okay like and so I was working both I was working 70 hours a week so I could like save up and then go traveling um but I had that my bottom floor was just so low at the time and so then I was also lucky that when I started, I turned to Upwork and I started doing more freelance gigs, like I was in Malaysia. So making $12 an hour, let's say, was like actually making $48 an hour because I was able to, you know, do a gig, you know, 20 hours a week and have enough money to like live pretty well on a salary that like wouldn't have really worked like here working 20 hours a week. And so from there, I've just kind of always like, increase and increase and I also li- so after Malaysia I lived in Australia and one of the reasons I went to Australia is because their minimum wage is $20 an hour and it's you know at the time when I heard about it when I was working retail for $10 an hour I was like sign me up is that 20 Australian dollars 20 Australian dollars 30 US uh, no I think it's the opposite I think it's a dollar worth more it's like, I mean, it go, I, it kind of goes farther. But the nice thing was, so in retail, $20 an hour on Monday through Friday. Saturday, $27 an hour. Sunday, $40 an hour. Holidays, public holidays, 55 Amazing. Yeah. They're onto something over there. Yeah. 
And it's different. Like, they have it tiered based on your age, which is interesting. Like, if you're 16, you're not going to make that money. But I think you're if you're older, you're going to make more money than what I was making. Honestly, that's so smart because it makes sense. Like, a teenager in high school does not need as much money as somebody who, like, probably lives on their own and yeah, pays their utilities. Or has a family. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I think also seeing that and I think their, their approach to work, like, it's funny, I worked for the same company in America and in Australia. And their approach was so different where it would be the end of my shift in Australia and it'd be like five o'clock and my manager would come up to me and be like, it's five o'clock, please leave. You're done. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Instead of like, can you please finish this transaction and like maybe do a little thing after, you know, like it was like, like they had very good boundaries where, and like where I first lived in Brisbane, like Sundays, no one worked. No one worked. And if you did, like, if you worked at, like, a Domino's or something, um, the Domino's charged everyone 10% more. Like, you had to pay more money for products on Sunday so that they could cover the cost of paying the paying the employees, like, twice as much. And, like, but for the most part, no one worked. And everyone relaxed. Everyone had a barbecue. Everyone whatever. Like, there was such a more of a focus on just, like, living and not just working. Um, so I think that also kind of influenced like, oh, this is, this is an approach to life that can work and you can like enjoy like work as like the, a means to like live. So yeah, I think that was, um, one of like, it it kind of shaped my mindset when I came back to the U S where I start, you know, I, I had that bottom floor and it's like, I'm not going to accept anything lower than that because it's uh and and fortunately like by that point I had a few years of freelancing under my belt so I had you know I already had been raising my rates so much I think one of my clients that I still have now um I started working with him when I was in Australia for like not a lot of money but I've been working with him for however many years and every six months or every year or so I'm like hey I'm raising my rates even though I'm like you know it's different for him than it is for other clients but I'm like I'm raising my rates can I have like such and such more and it's like, yeah, the answer is yes, because like I've done good work and I, I'm that's what you expect anyway, is that you should be getting a raise. I think that's the most beautiful thing about being a freelancer and the reason why, you know, I think the statistic was like in a couple of years, 50 percent of the workforce will be freelance. And it's just because of that. It's not because like nobody wants to work. It's because the current system makes it so the employers literally own you yeah. Where the way it should work is you should be able to set your own freaking price mm-hmm. and that you should be able to raise your rate when it makes sense for yourself and you should be able to just have more flexibility and then the people who work with you can either say no or yes or they can find somebody else Mm -hmm. and I feel like what you have this relationship with this person is like exactly what it should be about and it's like you know and then you're able to build a really good relationship based on mutual respect for years and years and years I mean that's what it is I think with any relationship is having that respect like my best friends like from like we've been friends since high school like my one my best friend Tom he was like we all work so well because we respect each other. And it's like, that's like what it is. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think we may have talked about this on like a different podcast episode, but I was telling Lerda about how like for so long we were used to only one way of working. Like there was only one possibility, yeah. right. Of like, you had to go and work a job and you had to be at a corporation or you had to like go and be employed by someone. Like you could not just freelance. It was not that easy. And now 
in this Aquarian age, right? We're, we're entering this new age of innovation and technology and opening so many more opportunities. Now so much is shifting. And, you know, these people that are at the top of like these major corporations are resisting that change so much. And they're trying so hard to let people know like, hey, like you don't actually want to work for yourself. You want to work for us versus like, what everybody actually wants to do is work for themselves and have autonomy over their own lives. And this is the first time like in history that it's actually been possible. And there's so, you can see like the power struggle of like the old way and the new way, like wanting to emerge in the old way, just like gripping on with like this death grip that it does not want to let go of the people that it's like had a hold over for so long. And it's just really cool that like you can share your experience and talk about how like you've shifted all of that for yourself and like, I love that you've never had, like, a real, like, salary job because I also have never really had, like, a real salary job. <laughs> and, like, I've had, like, one salary job Service ever. Jobs. Yeah, like, I Does used, I worked in, like, medical industry, yeah. but, like, that doesn't. Not like an office salary job. Right. Yeah, I yeah. Don't. I never tried to pursue, like, a career. Yeah. I tried. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, they didn't want me. I majored in PR, and that's what I, I mean, I was on that track, but I just, like, it's hard. I did advertising. It's actually hard to get jobs. It's hard to get jobs, and you have to be so schmoozy. Like, I was lucky where I, I worked with, um, one of the, like, a guy who was, like, big in, in Philly PR. I did, like, an internship. And you could see, like, people, like, turn their, like, ah, when I would say that I worked with him. And then I decided that, because I actually, like, wanted to do the Peace Corps after I graduated college. Didn't get in, which is fair. And then I ended up doing AmeriCorps. That's how, like, I first came to Austin. And people in the PR program would be like, oh, so what are you doing? Where are you working? Where are you, you know, whatever. And I'd be like, oh, I'm actually going to do AmeriCorps for a little bit, just like build some houses, see, like whatever. And like, you'd see them be like, hmm, like they didn't, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be around people like this. Like, no, thank you. In that Lula Rich document, it's so good. It was so good. I loved it. But I'm watching, there's, I think the third episode when they were talking about the husband stuff and they were just talking about like the marriage and it's like, I was watching it and I'm like, I, I'm not that I would ever have gotten into it just because, like, I know the signs of the MLM and I'm like, no, no, not me. Um, but it's like, wh- what would they even have said to a, a person who was single, first of all? Like, everything, it seemed like they assumed that you were a woman who had a husband. And something that they didn't mention in that documentary was that MLMs in general, like, are always targeting stay-at-home moms. But, like, I, have you ever seen, like, the Herbalife documentary? That no. Super fascinating. Um, that one was really good because it talked about how it specifically targets, um, like, the Latin community and how it has put so many Hispanic people in poverty. And, like, they've spent tens of thousands of dollars going into poverty buying all these herbalife products to try to sell them and how it like completely ruined their life and how like they're purposely targeting these communities that like may might have a disposable income or they like are trying to make a little bit of extra money my my friend in argentina um almost got like roped into new skin which is another mlm and like she was telling me about it i was like lucky i was like staying with her like for that week where she was like have a business opportunity and it's like based in america and like i really want to check it out i just want to go to this meeting and i was kind of like hey is it a mlm is it a pyramid scheme and she was like what's a pyramid scheme and i was like okay i'm coming with you to this meeting because i i know them all and like we go to the the place where it's like happening and it's like big purple lights and you see just like a big new skin like like sign and i was like 
run yeah we like like me her and her girlfriend we just like started like running out of there and just like got a beer and we're just like oh there's a reason why all of these are always targeting women and it's like why is this not a problem for men like why is it women are constantly like being put in these positions where they're being taken advantage of i will say that there are definitely a lot of men who get involved in mlms but i think it's just different like i think that the mlms that target women are usually things like new skin things like it works things that are geared towards making you look nice giving you good skin giving you helping you lose weight like the shakes and stuff like that versus the ones that the guys are involved in a lot of times it's like the products or whatever are like coffee and like you know like smaller things um pull me over once and didn't give me a ticket but he gave me an energy drink that was in his trunk (laughs) i think it was a part of an mlm it was like a packet and i was like fuck yeah i'll take your what that sounds great you're doing what i was very interested to get out of that ticket but i think that's yeah but i didn't i didn't think about it as an mlm because again like i've only seen women but that maybe it was something like that where it was just Mm -hmm. like um like a powdered energy drink that they had to sell yeah the fact that he was a cop doing that i'm like do you not get paid enough well so with the lularo documentary they were talking about how they they wanted the like once the wives were kind of in it they wanted to like get their husbands involved too and like kind of have it be like a LuLaRoe family and like be Be like all in yeah yeah which is like so scary yeah Yeah. okay I have another question because I've been seeing again like I'm in the VA community and the reason I wanted to do that is like because I've done like a lot of admin and production anyway and the way that I would do it is just like really I just want to work online so it's like but so much of the VA community and coaches in general it's like literally like you hire a coach to become a VA and then very quickly you become a coach. And then everyone's just talking about how much money they make. And something about when you just talk about how much money you're making, that to me screams MLM. So what do we think Dude, about that? I am so glad you brought this up because I was just thinking about this the other day. I'll send you this video. I think I sent it to you already. But um, Lexi from Pretty Decent made a video about how she saw the correlation after watching Lula Rich between MLMs and the current coaching industry and how a lot of coaches have taken the same model basically and just created it for coaching and how so much of it is focused on like okay I'm I've been a VA like Jessica Hawks right like she's probably like the OG kind of like most popular person that's like a VA coach right now and Mm -hmm. she has like this program or whatever you go in you become a VA or learn how to come a VA through her coaching program. But what they really say in that is they're like, yeah, you can make money being a VA and you can do good work. But if you really uh, want to, yeah. Ma- yeah, if you really, really want to make money, you should become a coach. So then people will VA for three, six months and then go and become a coach because they're like, okay, I've proved out the concept. I can technically make money doing this, but I want to make more money. Yeah. So I'm going to build out a team. Because everything is about, because like they don't even necessarily say like you should become a coach. They're just always talking about how much money they make as a VA coach. Like right. everything is about how much money they're making. And then, yeah i think it's like the same thing but again it's totally. so heartbreaking because it's kind of the same thing like you know it really targets women especially women um who are single moms who's like oh i can work from home but it's like something about that to me is like if you're always just talking about how much money you make and like you know we know coaches who like their entire social media is like you know just like how rich i am and then right. when you are coached by them then they go and they say the same thing and it's like no i just like I don't want to be, like, in people's DMs and talking about how rich I am. The DMs part, I think, is so fascinating. Like, the I could have never done an MLM because I didn't want to, like, be like, hey, girl, I know that, like, we haven't talked in, like, five years, but, like, are you – like, like I couldn't – I didn't have the mindset of doing that. And it was – like, there was just never an MLM, I guess, that, like, the product spoke to me or whatever. But, yeah, because there was a, a woman who on – my, on my Facebook, we had gone to high school together. She was selling toothpaste. 
on her Facebook. It was through, I think it was through New Skin, but I'm not completely sure. Um, and it's like, and then she would like DM people being like, hey, have you seen the like thing for the toothpaste? And it's like, ma'am. I actually know this girl who like I went to college with her and they like we both studied advertising and like she was like really good at stuff like that and then she's also really big in her sorority um and like after she graduated she actually worked for her sorority and it seemed like she really liked that job and she like really connected with girls but now she's literally a realtor but she also sells like skin products that I think are an MLM and I'm like oh my god you are so like the stereotype and like she's always like posting like videos of her using the skin products and I'm like girl what are you doing this girl would post pictures of her teeth and it's just like, it's just like the, the craziest part. This was like my favorite. So there was toothpaste, but then there was also a hair growth cream. It was like part, I think part of new skin, but it was weird because, so she had this post where she was like, my dad's friend came over the other day and he was complaining about his hair. So I said, Hey there, why don't you try this product? And two weeks later he came back and said, I have a head full of hair. Yeah. Well, and it was crazy. So she showed two pictures of his before and after. And then, so you see like the women in the comments on Facebook being like, wow, that's amazing. So I was like, they're involved. They're in it. So I, I click on their, the profiles, same exact post, same exact photos. <gasps> this is literally exactly what I see in the VA and the coach community too. Like they yeah. all follow each other. They all support each other. And they all like follow other people to the point where like, again, like I was, you know, I became a VA and then like, you know, they tell you to like, okay, like follow people, whatever. And I followed a bunch of people. And then the second I made my VA account, it was like coaches following me everywhere, mm-hmm. every fucking where. Yeah. And, but it reminds yeah. me a lot of that where like they'll support each other and they all post the same exact stuff. They make it look like they have clout. And then it makes yeah. it look like there's organic like support. And like people are like, wow, that is pretty cool. Let me check this. It's a trick. Because there is such a fine line between when it's authentic and when it's inauthentic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. I had hired a coach recently, and I had to cancel it because I, she was giving me, like, MLM vibes. And one of the people that she sent to me as, like, inspiration, she's like, here's one of the people that, like, I really love their content. I can totally see you, like, doing content like this. And she sent it to me, and I looked, and the girl was literally part of an MLM. And I was like, why are you sending me her as inspiration? Like, this obviously is, like, First of all, like not ethical. Like yeah. I was very, I'm very big on like making sure that like everything that I put out there is like genuine and authentic and real and like not just like me trying to promote a product or whatever. And I just remember thinking it was like very, very like a red flag for me where yeah. it's like, man, if you think that this is somebody who's putting out good content, then like that tells me something about you and how you think about marketing and like how you want to attract people. And like that doesn't make me feel good. When it comes to like having a client or like having followers or like whatever it's like it should be like a take it or leave it kind of scenario like in the ideal job like especially like if you are and like not even as a freelancer but like looking for like a corporate job it should be like if you like if you don't meet what I am asking of you goodbye like it's that same thing where it's like you should have that confidence of like like I can find another job you can find another employee like and just having that like mutual sense of respect because it's like all right well like I'm not going to try that hard to like get you like or or feel that bad even if you're not meeting me where I am because like other people will obviously there should be compromise and it should be like you wanting to work with people but there is a level of like I shouldn't be like trying way too hard to get you to change and you shouldn't be get, trying way too hard for me to get changed like if it's not something me and Danielle have been also talking about a lot recently is like trying to live our lives with more ease yeah. and like for me I've been realizing how hard I really tried with everything and then I finally realized like 
like why do I think life has to be hard and I've been journaling a lot about it and I realized like just the way I was raised I thought life had to be hard but that doesn't make any sense my energy could be put somewhere like not like to say life is easy but it can be a lot easier than most of us you know if we stop putting our energy in the wrong places and started following things that kind of like already like had a path built out or like Mm -hmm. seem a little bit easier what do you think about that like living a life of ease that reminds me of just like my entire dating life in college because I was trying to force myself to like like I just wanted the relationship with like a guy because I was like and that was like the end goal and it was like that was my like metric of success and like and it just never worked and I like when I look back on it now it's like because I didn't actually want that I didn't like I didn't fall into a relationship with someone because like I didn't I didn't feel anything and then when I started like dating women it was like oh this is what I've always wanted and it just feels natural and it felt like what I should be doing like which is almost like it feels it felt like ironic to like admit that especially like as someone who's raised Catholic like this feels natural like this feels like not like fate but it was just like oh of course this is what I'm doing I should be doing this I've always wanted this why wasn't I just doing it so it yeah it's it's like that kind of why was I trying so hard with like men who were not it was it just wasn't working and it's like why why was I trying you know because I didn't have representation of like what um you know the relationship that I wanted there was no representation for that in any sort of media like even I was talking with my friend the other day like the l word is like basically the only like lesbian representation and I didn't watch that when I was younger but even their relationships are chaotic everyone cheats on everyone it is just like so messy and it's like there's no um like picture of what it could be um which is actually probably a good uh segue into like my creative projects is like that's what I want to put out there and so that's kind of the the personal book project that I'm working on is like I want to see a relationship that actually speaks to like what I've been through and like and and it sounds some of the things the like plot points of the book it feels like not dramatic enough but it's like but that's also what I have gone through it doesn't have to be dramatic right like and I think that's so interesting like talking about relationship dynamics because I think something that I've been learning a lot as I've been married is that like Congratulations. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen you forever. <laughs> I forgot. It's been a long time. I got married since the last time I saw you. Um, but, yeah, I've noticed, like, in my marriage is, like, previously in my in my other relationships, there was just, like, a lot of, like, toxic, like, power play. And to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't want the toxic power play, they just want equality, is, like, kind of a mindfuck for me because I was not used to that. Like, I was never used to somebody just, like, treating me with respect or saying like oh you're allowed to say no you don't feel like doing something that is a valid enough reason to not want to do something and I'm like whoa what the hell like and they don't get butt hurt yeah like, you hate me you're exactly. always like this yeah exactly and it's so cool like that you're talking about what like a normal healthy relationship can look like because that's what I think we need more representation of I, I feel like there was this role that I was trying to play of like the like girlfriend who like I always just have this image of like a dude in his wife beater shirt on the couch playing video games like eating a a box of pizza and the girlfriend like I want to hang out with my friends but like "Eh, why don't you whatever and it's like 
but you want to fill that role because that's all you know is like this idea of like the lazy man the crazy female like you know like this it's and it's bizarre that like even though it's like that's not who I am and I don't want to like be that person you feel that like urge to be like well I mean this is what it's supposed to be right this podcast that I really like listening to it's called uh to be magnetic and it's all about manifestation and um one thing that I like is they 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 have a really good way of like describing different elements of manifestation but but it's really just like neuroscience and it's really just like you know psychology too but they have a term they call expanders and they're really saying like if you really want to like manifest you know change something in your life the most important thing you can do is like heal whatever needs to be healed first but then the second part is an expander is like literally look at someone who is living what you want to live and that's exactly what you're talking about it's something that I'm like realizing so much as well is like if you really want something you need to show your brain that it that exists somewhere otherwise you'll never really know what it looks like because we only go off you know what we know that's how our brain works and that's exactly what you're talking about is like you didn't see an example of it so you saw example of something else and that's what your brain went after and how important it is to fill our lives up with the examples of what we want and I think that's why a lot of people are really unhappy because you know they're stuck in their environment they're stuck around like maybe people they don't get or that they don't get them and they just see the same thing and I think that's why a lot of you know maybe people in MLMs like they just see a lot of people around them in MLMs or whatever you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. so I think that's great that you want to put more stuff out there because it's definitely going to be helpful to like there's so many other people who want to see that I was writing chapters for a few um, like entrepreneurs, CEOs, and for some reason for the past week there have been two or three people who have said specifically like you are the five the five people you hang out with the most. And so and it was weird because it happened like two or three times where I'm like, I think I need to listen to this. But it's yeah, it's that kind of thing where if you're only around people who are in toxic relationships, it's almost like you have to feel like you, you like you feel like you have to be in a toxic relationship now that I'm seeing like, you know, and, and I think traveling really helped me be like, no, I don't, you know, I don't have to fit into the, you know, the American culture when I was in Australia, like, I don't have to, you know, live this way, or I don't have to, like, not settle for just what is like, around me, like, I can do what actually I want. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. And it's not, I mean, it's not always easy, because like, like, luckily for, like, especially when it comes to, like, being gay, like, I don't have that much pushback, but I'm sure that they, I mean, there are so many kids that, like, they're surrounded by people who they don't have the room to, like, even explore that, and it's, I can't imagine how hard that is to, like, like, of course people get stuck, and they, of course people feel shameful, and of course, like, people, you know, aren't able to kind of break through that, because it's just hard, like, it's not easy, so... Yeah, I want I want to see more of just like how like I I want people to see an example of that, um, and yeah, and then and there are parts where it's almost it could be like a little boring because like it, there's no drama going because we're so used to like I'm reading a book right now, so dramatic, so like it's just too much, um, and I'm like I don't I don't want to read I literally bought like a queer romance book while I was reading it because I was like I don't want this it's like a it's like a straight um, heterosexual, like, male and female who have been, like, best friends for a long time, and it's, like, a will they, won't they, like, throughout the entire book, and it's, like, I don't, I don't want to read this. This is, like, it's so not my life, and it's so not my problems, and I'm, like, I don't like this, you know? (laughs) So cool, though, that you're writing about, like, your life and your perspective. Something that I remember hearing a long time ago is, like, 
you never know the impact that like your art could have on somebody else and like I think about that all the time I was gonna say something that you said too about um you know oh the book might not be dramatic enough for people something that I see and I and it goes back to kind of like what brands are telling us what the media is telling us and why I think there's gonna be a huge cultural shift because we finally have the narrative is we're you really are just kind of following what you think people want but it's based off what they want so I think it's just like we just keep having all these dramatic stories and then people keep making them because you know, someone decided that's what we wanted and then that's all anyone puts out. So that's why, oh, that's what we want. We want all these like trashy shows and all this like really like not quality stuff. But I think it's like the more people actually put out what you're talking about, the more people actually see it and be like, oh, this is actually what I want. Like for creatives like who might be afraid that their stuff is too niche, like I've read Amish romance novels. Surprisingly. I would eat that up. Surprisingly quite nice because it is so slow paced where like if you are so exhausted from a long day or you have like been consuming like very dramatic things it's like oh little marianne just she, the, the, not even a kiss i think there's one kiss in the one book that i wrote or read um and it was like uh, like uh, but i still enjoyed it have you watched normal people no neither no, of you guys I don't this think is so. how I feel about normal people it's a book but it's also a tv show and it's literally so slow and it's just about these two people who can never communicate but they're so in love with each other and it just I can't even describe it to you watch it or read it that's it's exactly that it's like so normal and it's so frustrating and it's so slow but it's exactly it's a it's a regular relationship it's a and it's a break for your from your like for your brain too like and there's cert, there's so many different types of content that like i consume where it's just like it just makes me feel good like the like the podcast where they recap a show that i've already watched it's like it feels good and it's like i'm happy that this is being produced and it's so it's like why and i there's multiple of these podcasts that i listen to all for different reasons one is like it's two women of color. It's like, I want to hear their perspective versus like two people who treat it like a game versus like two just women who are just kind of, it's called chatty broads. And it's like, you know, their perspective is like very different, but it's like, I value all of those different perspectives. So it's like, why wouldn't someone else value your perspective? So I, I try to like remind myself and then also like the writers that um, are like on the team at Leaders Press, like I try and remind them like there is an audience for everything that you're putting out you just like and sometimes like, you won't find them immediately but it's like they're out there and the the good thing about social media is that it's way easier to find those people now like than it was however many years ago when it's like where are the people that also enjoy Amish romance novels there are conventions apparently I saw it online I wouldn't go because I'm not that into it. I've only read one, but <laughs> what am I about to say is not going to add anything of substance, but I just want to say I worked at a hotel once and they had a convention for like dolls, like Ooh. creepy dolls. And there was a lot of people there. There's a niche for everything. There are so many people in the world that it's like, there are so many people that are like, like you think about like a person who is researching the smallest thing like the scientist that's researching like the smallest advancement in like a random product that like you know not a lot of people use but it's like that's a person that's their full-time job like they're out there or like someone who is like creating really really niche content there's a group of people like there's a group for literally everything um and it's it blows my mind how many people can do so many like a infinite amount of things and it's like a good reminder that it's like I can do whatever you know I can do this weird thing too because like 
there are people doing way weirder stuff than anything that I'm doing. And they have a big following. So it's like, you know, there's something for everyone. And it's, I think like with creatives, like, just like, just do it. Just put your stuff out there. People will find it. People will, you know, connect with you for it. And it might be the thing that you're like surprised is what connects with people. Like my, one of my most popular blog posts when I was traveling was, I just wrote a post about breaking up with a guy to travel and I just kind of wrote it as like a here's what's happening like to like and like not answer any questions because not like people were asking but like I just wanted to like put it out there maybe just for myself and like so many people in relationships and not in relationships like reached out to me about it being like wow this like really I I really resonated with that or like this really I related to it you know there's people the stuff that you put out like has um like a purpose and like people will find purpose and meaning in it you know that's so beautiful um that's really cool i have a question that's kind of related um how do you find like inspiration for like all the things that you write i know you talked about like different podcasts and things that you read and listen to but like where is your go-to to to, like just get inspired i think right now because i want to kind of be in well it, it depends on the project i'm working on so for like when I wrote like mo- murder mystery parties like which is I'm writing the second one now um and I just like watched murder mysteries because I, I got inspired to do it by watching Knives Out and I was like what a fun genre like what and there's elements to the genre that I think are really fun and and certain stories you can kind of plug in different you know elements of the of the genre and so I wanted to like explore that and so that's why like I wrote the first murder mystery and then I was like also let's have a party um and so what I'm doing now is I'm just reading like fiction that you know would kind of be in the same realm as like the book I'm writing because I want to just like immerse myself in it because I find even with books that like I don't particularly enjoy I'm like okay like I start to think about my own book and then I put it down and then I work on my own thing so and that's and and with the nonfiction books it's also um, like when I, I kind of need inspiration for that, I just read a nonfiction book like Grit or Drive or like all those other books that kind of fit into that genre. So I think it's just immersing yourself in that genre and then you will start to see how you can add to it or how you can change it or like, you know, you hear, a, you read a point, you know, in a book and you're like, but also this. And then it's like, that's what you add to, you know, your, the work that you're doing. That's so cool. It's like that concept of like steal like an artist, right? It's like, that's the whole concept of creativity. And that's how we can continue to expand on our creativity is reading and absorbing other people's creativity and then seeing how we can build upon that and like make something new. I think so many people now are obsessed with this concept of like originality or like coming up with something totally original. And like, I'm sorry, but, like, originality doesn't exist anymore. Like, pretty much everything has already been thought of, and that's okay. Like, you just have a different perspective on it, and that's totally perfect and valid. And some people, like, like that familiarity of things, like, within a genre. Like, the reason, like, the boy meets girl, boy falls, you know, like, whatever. Like, that's, like, such a timeless, like, kind of uh, genre or story, and it's just every rom-com is the same version of that but we expect it and we like that and we're like waiting for it uh, you know because like the book I'm reading now like I'm I know what the ending is they get together in the end because of course they do like or if there's a twist then ooh, that's exciting too like I think people want to you know have that um, framework that they can kind of expect because then they're you know or like 
with the Amish romance, like, I'm sure all of those books are very similar. It's just a different name. You know, instead of milking the cow, they're churning the butter. You know, like, different elements are different, but it's like, you know where the story is going, and you, like, it's nice to have that. So I think sometimes as a creative, it can feel like, oh, my God, but, like, what if I'm not doing enough to, like, you know change up the story and it's like you are doing enough like it's because you're already you've already thought of it but the person across the room who's reading it has not been listening to your brain and like heard your perspective before I listened to this podcast recently my husband listens to it all the time called know thyself and it's an astrology podcast and something that I really love that they do is they'll watch movies like Wizard of Oz or Lord of the Rings or whatever and then they'll break down the hero's journey that the characters went through and break down all of like the symbolism and like the astrological significance and it goes to show like that is so valuable for a lot of people because really what I realized through listening to all of that is like all these stories are exactly the same like the hero's Mm -hmm. journey is such a classic like archetype and all of the characters fit into different archetypes and the reason that we love it is because it's familiar and like exactly what you're saying like we love the comfort of familiarity but we like the excitement of like an added twist or something new or a different perspective because really that's kind of like what we're all doing when we create art is we're just giving our perspective but really we're part of like this greater conscious collective and we're all like contributing to it and this is just our little piece of it it's like here you go here's this thing I made I don't know who originally said it or like whatever but it's they talk about how every story is either a hero leaves his home or a stranger comes to town that's it that's how every story starts and it's like tell me a story that's not like that you know what I mean or you know you can break down any story to that and it's like that's kind of a fun place to start like it's nice to have those uh you know that starting point where it's like okay but like what stranger why did they come to town and like that's when you can start to you know kind of have fun and like play with things and um yeah I just want to know like how have you like expanded your skill set like what how did you like learn how to write like I know you went to college is that like primarily how you learned how to write or like how did your writing skills come together that's where I started so I mean I've always been I always have known that I'm a talented writer like that has just been very like a, a fact for like since the beginning and I went to college for PR and that was like fortunately the course that I did it was all so much writing it was all writing courses and then like a little bit of like event planning and like crisis communication like etc so and then from there like I I I just practiced like and the blogs like the first blog I did was just like practice for me like the you know the first time that I wrote like I ghost wrote like a fiction book for someone that was just like practice for me and like that in that case it was like another like bottom shelf like kind of payment where it's like well you know it's worth the practice if I can like get paid to like practice a little bit then that's great but um yeah I think it it's just doing it and then um yeah I was like lucky in college like I had a whole semester that was just writing courses because I was like I had a basically a free semester where I could take whatever classes so that I could graduate like on time but not like just like take one class it was just all writing classes I took a memoir class a poetry class and a non-fiction like a short story class and then I took ASL for which is awesome um it was a great semester um but yeah it, it's just practicing it and doing it and just doing it over and over and over again and then also gaining the inspiration from um other sources because I wouldn't have been able to write like a murder mystery without seeing 
murder mysteries and seeing what do they all have in common and it's like that's what i need in the book or like that's what i need in the party so yeah that's cool so you're kind of like breaking down the structure of different things that you watch and you're like what are the different components and how can i create my own version of this it's it's quite fun because it is fun to like see the bare bones of all these different stories and then just kind of like plug in different things like you know like the murder mystery party is definitely just kind of like the most basic form of that um but it's just it's just fun yeah something that you said also reminds me of steve jobs's story where he like just took a bunch of random classes and he took a calligraphy class i believe and that's kind of how he got the idea for all these things and i think you know what would you guys say like the importance of like especially when you're creative just like really giving yourself a variety of different like places to put your brain so you can get those inspiration and see where those things lead you because like all the classes that you just mentioned make a lot of sense like you know like poetry classes and asl and all these different things and like how important it is to, like i think a lot of people and I, f- I see this a lot more in men than women is like they feel like they have to go all into something mm-hmm. and i think it could be so much healthier you know on a mental health level but also for your career to allow yourself to be in different things and i'm sure it's a balance as well but i was curious what you guys think about that it makes me think of how I like to go to art museums and like gain inspiration from there and like sit in front of a painting. I did this a lot more than I when I was traveling than I do now and just be like, what's the story behind this? Like why, you know, like why are all of these things in this painting and like who are the characters that are out of the frame or like whatever? Um, and it's yeah, and it's not a there's no words on, you know, on most of the paintings, but it's like you get that different perspective that's just it really takes you outside of um what you're doing so yeah i think just you can gain inspiration from like anything that's so neat it reminds me of like that saying where they say like once you put your art out into the world it's no longer yours Mm -hmm. because it changes based off of the perception of the viewer or the observer of like what it is that they're looking at and each person puts their own perception and worldview on it and they see it through a totally different lens and it's just really interesting to see like how you approach viewing art because I knew I know so many people they just kind of like walk through an art museum but I'm like you like I like to sit down I want to stare at it I want to know like what is the different components of this how did this come together like what is the message that's being communicated because I think that's what like the artists want us to do maybe it's because we're artists like we get it (laughs) like one of my favorite painters is is Martha Roscoe and it's like because I feel like there's so much you can get in his paintings if you just take a minute to sit with it and you know they're gonna they're gonna be people that just look at it and like it's just a bunch of squares and it's basically the same color but it's like if you let yourself have fun with it a little bit you can really get a lot out of his paintings and that's I mean and it's just one example of you know like I think also art there are elements to things that I I think when you get familiar with art history and you get familiar with like uh like Greek mythology and all that kind of stuff like I I I had no idea I think it was someone at the Dallas Art Museum told me this that if there's like a eagle in the painting I forget what it is but it's one of those it's like symbolizes like Zeus or something or and there's like uh if it's a portrait um of a person just like a a typical portrait of like an old person from the 1800s but like there's uh I think there's like a skull in it it means that they um the portrait was finished after they died you have to take the time to familiarize yourself with it to immerse yourself with it to talk to the people in the art museums to read up on things and that takes a lot of time and that's I think going back to like your guys's mission is like to be intentional and to gather all that information it's a lot of information and there's a lot that goes into every little piece of a story of a you know a 
advertisement, of a campaign, of a, you know, of branding colors, like everything, you know, I always think of when, you know, in high school art when, or in high school writing, when they're like, Blake Gatsby, like the green light means go, which is like, you don't have to do that for everything, but you could. And people will look for symbolism and stuff like that. And in order to get as much of the message that you want out, you have to be so intentional and think about every single way a person could view a word or a you know element of your art i think it translates to like media literacy too because it it speaks to like clickbait versus like an actual article about things like if you're like if you're just reading the headline you're not getting you're obviously not getting the full story like you could do so much by looking at the story who wrote it what source they're writing it for the specific words of how they portray a politician or a person in you know society or whoever like it's it's really small things but they do matter like the way that they frame like a, a white criminal versus like a criminal color like you know or calling you know using the term like disabled person versus like person with disability like there are you know and it's exhausting to like think about it all the time and I think that's a lot of a hesitation that like especially like white people who don't know like they don't see what the media has done and what our society has done to people of color like it's so exhausting to break down all of the news stories all of the you know who they choose to put on camera all the representation it's exhausting and I think a lot of white people are just going to be like they just don't want to think about it think about it because it is exhausting and it, you have to take time like to put yourself in a space where you can think about that impact. And if it's overwhelming you, just take a step back, you know, refresh, and then go back into it when you have a more open mind. Because I think there are people that they push back on it, like, so defiantly. And, like, that's not helpful either. Because people do want you to see their perspective. People of color need to have their perspective out there because, like, white people just don't live that same life they don't have the experiences that people of color have and it's you know so they need to hear it from people like there's a book I think it's called it's called citizen I can't think of who is the author but it's this amazing it's a really good book where it's just everyday stories that like when you're reading it as a white person you're like oh my god like people oh my god like why are people still acting like this and it's like you forget that you know, a person of color is going to experience it. White people aren't just aren't going to see it. It just goes to show, like, how important that representation is, is and how important it is for, like, white people to advocate for that because that's something that I've noticed through conversations that I've had with my family or with other white people of them just, like, not getting it because they just don't relate. They're like, I, well, I've never been racist and my parents weren't racist and we never had anything against, like, black people, so, you know, I don't think that this is a problem. And it's like, well... It's not about what you it's yeah. yeah it's not about you it's yeah. not about you and it's not your experience it's not your perspective it's about someone else's perspective and for them having the first time in history really having the opportunity to share their yeah. story and like be really fucking honest about what they've experienced and I think that like it's just really really important for us to remember that like as we're communicating and like advocating for different people's like it's not fucking about us and like our perspective it has literally nothing to do with like how we feel about it it's like our job is to listen and to advocate to realize that the picture that we have painted in our minds of like society of everything is just like something that has just existed like in our minds and it's not the way that other people see the world like 
it's you know like growing up religious like i we were talking about earlier how deeply entrenched some of those messages are and and it affects the way that i see the world and the the way that i hear certain messages or i you know have to defend against certain things like it's so deeply still in there so it's like even trying to unwind that is like exhausting but you it has to be done if you want to have a like a, a more objective view of just like the world like it's just remembering that like you are one of however billion people there are there are so many people the possibilities for how the world is seen for you know people's perspective on things i mean the possibilities are endless so we have to just like be more open to that even if it feels unbelievable or just like wrong or like whatever like instinctually um yeah just being open to it seeing a lot of conversations about um having people who are transgender in the same sports or whatever but i was just looking through the comments on one of these posts and it reminds me a lot of how also people talk about race like people who are not a person of color and how they talk about people of color and someone who's not transgender talk about someone who's trans and like just it's a certain message and like the way they talk about it is like i don't have a problem with transgenders like i'll call him he sh-. like i'll call him whatever i just don't want that to affect me and it's like and i kept seeing comments like that and i was like something about this i hear all the time and it's that's exactly the point is you're like no i'm super respectful to them like i'll whatever they want but then all but then they're like there's always that but but then mm-hmm. and then the butt is in a way that it's going to affect them and it's just like saw so many comments like that and i'm like this is the problem well i think a lot of what white people maybe don't understand is that the society and the systems and everything that has existed basically up until this point was created by white people mm-hmm. it was created with white people in mind cisgender people in mind men in mind it's not thinking about people who have disabilities it's not thinking about people who don't conform to the gender binary it's not thinking about people who are in same-sex relationships it's not thinking about people who are in polyamorous relationships it's not thinking about women of color people of color anybody of color it's thinking about the nuclear family structure that was established in like the 50s and 60s it's like the man and the wife and their 2.5 kids and like mm-hmm. this is a system that's built to uphold this ideal picture of the american family but the ideal picture of the american family is like whatever that american family defines for themselves i've been hearing a lot of like kind of the same topic with like guys and girls especially in straight relationships where it's like so often girls are like how is it that i can like have a conversation with a guy you know like on a first date or whatever and like not be interested in him at all and like they don't care and it's like wow you're like this is the best conversation i've ever had in weeks like you're such an interesting person and someone really broke it down to be like a lot of straight white men just grow up to not think about anyone else and and or care about what anyone else is thinking or feeling and us as women and like people of color immigrants whatever like you is the opposite like so many people who are not straight white men grow up to think about everyone else's opinion Mm -hmm. and they for the first time are being forced to think about what someone else thinks Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying it like we should hate them it's just like this is a problem on a like societal level that that is why we're seeing so much of that so much of that pushback i used to do a lot of writing for like dating coaches like that was i had a client and talking about like attraction and dating whatever so i like got into this like internet hole of like researching like dating coaches holy moly like it is i mean it's 
so wild. I had a client who I actually wrote his uh, like dating profile messages, like which was quite fun. I just like I wanted to explore it. It like wasn't my favorite thing, but it was like very silly. It was yeah, it was wild. But he sends me this video on YouTube because we were kind of talking about like what happens if a woman isn't responding. And to me, it's like you don't double text them. There's so many, and he he had like a fair amount of matches. Like you know, he would he'd be fine. Um, but he was like. If a woman doesn't respond, I would like you to refer to this YouTube video. And it was a YouTube video of a dating coach who was like so classic. He was like green screen in the back. He had the blazer. He had like a camo shirt underneath. And he's like, all right, fellas, like here's what's happening. You text him with the girl. She's super fine. And then what happens? She doesn't text you back. What are we going to do, fellas? Don't worry. I've got the answer. And it was like a formula. I love this impression. Can I just say, like... <laughs> the, the answer was you wait four days after the woman has not texted you back. You text her her name, an exclamation point, and an emoji kind of like of your choice, but it was like kind of like the sweating guy, like the sweating, like smiley face. And he was like, fellas, it works every time. That, like approach to like you just have to crack the code with women they treat women as if they're all kind of the same and if you and it's if you're doing the right thing like if the man is doing the right thing then you will have another woman in your bed every single night yeah because it's not thinking about like relationship building it's a game that they win my my husband actually used to be a dating coach a long time ago and he worked with several other dating coaches and that's something that we talk about a lot where he's like you know i noticed that my approach to dating coaching was so different from everybody else's right. because i was focused on helping people find like long-term relationships finding marriage like he i wanted to help them connect with another person and like I was helping guys who had social anxiety who were scared of talking to women. Yeah. He's like, and that was like way different than other people that I saw where they basically were just teaching predatory practices on how to take advantage of women who were in the club, who had been drinking, who, you know, are in their not right state of mind and how you can manipulate them to get what you want rather than treating them like a human being, which is like insane. Yeah. I was going to say, just one of my favorite things to do with my guy friends is like, I feel like I'm always like end up being the teacher, but like some of my guy friends are like, you girls, you're always like this it's like y'all do this and like they'll tell me about how they like they read this book or they saw this video it's like you girls do that and i'm like so what's like going on with you and this girl that you want to talk to okay cool like she might she's like we're all different like stop yeah. trying to tell me what we do it's like yes yeah, some girls will do that thing that you're talking about and some won't and it's just like they always want to like crack the code and, yeah. I, and i get it a lot of it root is rooted in insecurity mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day i'm just like do you see us as people? Because, right. like, I'm different than this person who's different, and this person is different than this person, and, like, we all want different things. So it's like, why are you listening to a guy? I don't know. It's another thing, too, is, like, they'll listen to guys more than they'll listen to girls about girls. It's like, again, these dating coaches mm -hmm. were guys seeking guys for dating coaching. And mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but maybe a guy should, like, hire a girl. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't ever see stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's it's. It, but it, it, it like speaks to the story that we've been taught in like the me in media of like this is what a relationship looks like you know it's a you know this is the rom-com relationship you know because all these rom-coms start out where it's just like oh this guy's a total jerk like he's a lame guy from work and then it's like but do I like him? It's like, it's so true. Like the notebook is literally that when you think yeah. about it. It's like, why? And it really sucks as like, you know, we, because I think we're all very mature women who are around this table. But like, 
we really like if you look back at what we were taught when we were younger it's like man we believed that but it was like how could we not believe that that's like all we saw yeah with like watching like friends or something like that it's like the picture uh, the picture they paint of new york is insane the picture they paint of like adulthood is like kind of weird like it it's just a bizarre you you go back and you watch it and you're like no wonder that there is homophobia no wonder there's like racism like no wonder people think they have the audacity to say certain things to certain people because like they see it in a tv show and that person is the protagonist and that they're the main character and whatever it's yeah it's pretty wild to go back and watch tv from like when we were growing up to just be like oh actually and the thing that pisses me off the most is like we were children when we were watching we were our brains were still forming we didn't have the life experience to say hey that's kind of messed up where like the adults in our life it's like where were you adults to like tell us that something was wrong or that like you know to stand up for you know the things that weren't okay to stand like it, it makes me upset about like the the teachers or the adults who and their excuse is like that's how society was and it's like they're all just complacent i mean it's still happening now i don't know if you guys have heard about this but in arizona there's a high school that's really going like i don't think there's a lot of news coverage about it but like online it's gotten a little bit big because they're protesting a bunch of girls got raped in the high school and like a couple of people and then this girl finally went to the school about it and it's on record she went to the school and reported this guy nothing's been done about it he's still in school they're basically trying to protect him and there's phone conversations with like the principal and stuff and be like you know arguing about what the school is like like it's an argument about like they're like why aren't you doing this this and this and it's like well you know in our in our whatever in our rules like we're expected to do this this and this it's just like clearly like no empathy and so the entire school is protesting and it's really like it's so much of like our adults really didn't protect us i mean growing up as a girl it was always about like you know you're doing this wrong you're wearing this or whatever so it's it really is so much of like it's still happening but adults are supposed to protect children but they you know historically haven't yeah Yeah, and i think that like a lot of it boils down to like ignorance like they don't know and it's not to make an excuse for anybody because i think like everybody has the opportunity to educate themselves and do better Mm -hmm. but i think for a lot of us like the society that our mothers specifically were raised in did not empower them and did not put them in a position where they felt they could protect their children and now we're kind of like the first generation of women where we're finally saying like hey like we're not going to stand for bullshit anymore we're going to prioritize taking care of like our kids and making sure that they're protected and standing up for them and I think that you know every generation hopefully is better than the last and now that we have like this awareness we're able to kind of walk into a new way of being which is really exciting yeah um by the way, my therapy's about to start in a couple minutes, oh. so I gotta leave soon. Oh, okay. it's like if this is your time to shamelessly promote yourself, essentially. Okay. Like, where where <laughs> where people can find you? What what are you working on that you want to share? How can people work with you if that's an option? Um, so I think the best way to go about it is either you can go to my website, which is meganokonski.com, and you'll have the type in the podcast. Um, and then I also, if you are interested in either working in like a publishing company or like getting a book published um i work for leaders press Uh, it's just leaders press doc if you just search leaders press on google you will find it um and we do business books it's mainly nonfiction, um and yeah that's great stuff 
So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your story and just being like really open and vulnerable. It was really cool to like talk to you and catch up with you. Um, I'm just curious about what had the most heart and meaning from our conversation today. I think it's nice to talk to people who like also see the kind of danger in like the clickbait, like fast moving kind of media consumption. And it's it's so nice to have this like vision and hope of like we're all going to slow down a little bit. We're all going to be more intentional with the media that we consume. Um, and it's just like a nice um, it's nice to know that like people are interested in doing that and that that is out there. I love that. Thank you so much, Megan. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you.